<clears throat> last week we talked about what God is up to with humanity. And so I asked us to kind of just spend some time thinking the last couple of weeks creatively about, you know, what is the Lord calling us to into eternity? And uh, it's more than just floating around on clouds, plucking harps and things like that. I think that there are going to be some wonderful creative endeavors at work. And uh, we get to do amazing things together with our Lord. Um, and I, I didn't have to be right on everything, but I, hopefully I got you just thinking about it a little bit. And so uh, we're glad you're here with us. We got some cars in the parking lot. <gasps> Are there no cars listening on the FM radio? Dan Harold's listening on the FM radio. That's in the back. <laughs> There's at least one. All right. Praise God. And uh, we'll just keep doing that as long as uh, that's of help to some people. That's a good thing. So uh, last week we kind of ended with the question, what is it that God's up to with humanity? What's this little project he's running on this little world together with us little human beings? And uh, I think he's interested in the person you are becoming. And I think God wants our character to develop to the point that throughout eternity we become safe to utilize kingdom resources and kingdom power. Uh, kingdom resources and kingdom power, that we become safe to use those for the projects that uh, we come up with to do together in eternity. Uh, you see, in humanity, God has crafted a special receptacle for himself. He's creating a people to be a house for him, to be a temple or a dwelling place. People who have the potential, at least, to be filled with the living God. So one of the things that God is up to uh, with regard to the church is uh, this is a whole process of discipleship that's supposed to be happening here. Um, a process of sanctification and of redemption. But God is creating in the church and us as a fellowship and as a communion uh, a showpiece for all of eternity. Uh, a showpiece of his redeemed people. The church will, throughout the ages, stand as the most outstanding testimony to the manifold wisdom of God. And that seems unbelievable to us. Uh, I appreciate Jonathan's thoughts on communion. It seems unbelievable to us because we are so individualistic and so divided from each other. We're so broken, we're aware of some of the brokenness we bring, some of the brokenness we're not aware of. Sometimes we're aware of other people's brokenness. Oh, that guy's broken. But this is what uh, Paul says in Ephesians 3. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, I think, yeah, that probably includes angels. 
And I think, you know, they're, they're looking on. We're told that uh, what do angels do when one person gets it right? They're jumping up and down for joy. They're cheering. Oh, that's what the Lord's doing there with that one. Oh, what's he doing with that lady over there? Oh, I think she's learning to trust. What about that guy over there? Uh, I have no idea what he's up to with him. So there's, there's stuff going on that we're... And, and I don't blame angels if they can't figure it all out. Have you figured it all out? Why, why are these people here? Why this particular mix? Why, with all of our baggage and our foibles and our shortcoming, that he would choose the creator of the universe to create his showpiece out of us? Broken, flawed, little So the last couple weeks, I hope you got, I got you thinking a little bit about heaven and what heaven's going to be like for you. Not that we think that we've got it all figured out. There's a lot of mystery there. There's a lot of ambiguity. Uh, but there is an afterlife. It is something that we can look forward to with hope and anticipation. There will be a time of fulfillment for all of the promises of God that they become clear uh, and our hope in what's coming, it can encourage and inform our faith now as we live in this world. So heaven is something that we look forward to someday, but that does not mean heaven is opposed to the power and presence of God's kingdom working in our lives right now, right now available to us. The character formation that God wants for you, the kind of person you're becoming, you don't have to wait for that. You begin to embrace that. You begin to live that now. But that's God's project. He goes to broken, normal, needy, disgusting people in our own ways. And he says, I want to go into business with you. Who you are right now, the person you are right now, the place you live right now, which is somewhere in the Eugene Springfield area, your responsibilities, the place you are in your circumstances in life, you are meant right now to be a light in the world. You are meant to be a light in this dark world, not someday, but right now, right where you are. Jesus goes to, you think about the people that he's talking to when he's delivering the Sermon on the Mount. Normal, needy, broken people. And he goes to them in Matthew chapter 5 and he says, You are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. You don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. You put it on a stand so it can give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And I start where I start this morning talking about this. It's because this is the kingdom of God project in our lives making you into the light of the world. 
And, it's not, and the, one of the biggest problems that we face is you and I not believing that we are, in fact, the light of the world. Well, didn't Jesus say, I'm the light of the world? Yeah, he did. John 8, 12, I think. I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But in Matthew 5, he says, you too. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Sometimes we have trouble believing that. Well, what does it mean to be a light of the world? I think it means that you are uniquely traversing a space-time continuum, that uh, you are in a place where no one else is. You're filling a certain space right now. There is a space that is filled with Larry Honaker right now, and we can all see where that space is. No one else is there in Larry's spot. No one else is in Corey Sheeler's spot right now. Corey's there in that spot. This is your time. This is your day. There have been many people before you. There may still yet be many people after you. But you are sitting there in that chair, and if the light of the world is going to be there in that chair, it's going to be in you. You're it. You're it. God Almighty is not going to take your place. God Almighty will help you fill that place and be a light to the world. He's not going to take your place because he's put you in that place. You are in that place for a reason. And you are invited, invited at least, to be a light of the world. Some of you might say, well, that's great and all, but really, I have no light. I, know, I got no flame in this light. It was never intended that the light should be yours. You're the lamp. The light burns in you to make you into the light of the world. You don't do this alone apart from God. So the first lesson I would have on being a light of the world would be don't despise your place. Don't despise your place. God puts you here for a reason. You are here for a reason. So many of us throw away our place. I don't like the, I don't like the person I am. I don't like these circumstances. I don't like this location. I don't like fill in the blank. And one of the things that will keep you from receiving the kingdom of God is despising who you are and the place where you happen to dwell right now. A lot of people, they don't like themselves. A lot of people, they don't like their place. Either geographically, Eugene, I feel stuck here. I hate this place. I want to get out of here. It may be your place and time. When I just get older and then people start taking me seriously, and then all of a sudden it switches somewhere in the middle where then suddenly you're nostalgic for the way things were. If I just had more energy, if I just had more if I was healthier, if I just had this much more time, or your place and circumstances. I've got this education. 
I'm not using it. I've got this, this job I hope for, and that's not materializing. I've got this situation with my, my kids. I've got this situation with my parents. Uh, this situation where in singleness or a marriage issue or all of these circumstances that we're tempted to feel like I'm stuck. The problem is you can never receive the kingdom except where you are. If the light of the world is going to be here in your particular place, it has to be together with you and the Lord. God puts you in that place. And that means, uh, and these are ideas that we get in our mind, and they keep us away from God and God's kingdom. What that means is all the time I spend wishing for different circumstances, pining for it, making myself sick over it, despising where I'm at. Uh, It's wasted time. It's keeping you back from what God may be doing in you. I'm not saying you don't have circumstances that you shouldn't try to work to get out of. That's not what I'm saying at all. But sometimes God's best work that he's doing, he's doing it in the desert, your desert. All the time you spend comparing yourself to others around you. This is poison for us, and we all fall into traps of comparison. Oh, if I could only preach like that guy. Oh, if... If I only had this job like my friends have, if, if I only could have, if I only looked like that person, if I only had a mind like that guy, if I was only, smart, if I was only as smart as that lady is. Comparison is poison. Time wasted. We waste time by complaining. We're just constantly complaining. We're constantly blaming. Oh, we can all give you the list of reasons why. Pretending to be a victim. Look Look at what has happened to me. Look at my circumstance. Look, excuses that we come up with. You notice how we label everything? We got a label from everything. I've got, I got a problem with you. You chew really loud. You're a loud chewer. I cannot stand that. I don't know why. I know it's a condition I have that loud chewers really offend me. I don't know if we can be friends or not because you're a secretor and I'm a non-secretor. We've got all of these labels we put on things. And sometimes they're not helpful. All of these games that we play comparisons. But at what point do you suck it up, buttercup? Stop throwing away who you are. Stop throwing away the place where God has put you right now. Stop it. When you dismiss who you are as a person, when you dismiss your place, and I'm not saying you're perfect the way you are, that's not, 
when you throw away the possibility that you are supposed to be the light of the world in your life, particular life, in your time, in your circumstances, when we let that go, that is the ultimate act of unfaith on your part. You are called to be a light of the world right now in your place. The people that you bump into, the people that you are around. Most people live their life that, with the idea that it's just kind of impending doom, that I'm, I'm not going to be blessed. I'm going to miss out on my share. I'm not going to get what I deserve. I'm not going to And people can come up with a long list of reasons why they are not going to be blessed. And Jesus says to a group of people like that, you are the light of the world. Can you say that with me? Say, I am the light of the world. Uh, Say it again because you don't believe it. Say it again. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Who sent you into this world? At whose charge are you here? Were you an accident or something? Did God made a mis- did he make a mistake with you or something? You see, it's sad that many people believe they were an accident. Many people believe that they were a mistake of some kind. Maybe their parents told them they were a mistake. Or perhaps treated them like they wish they hadn't come. People feel like they're a mistake because of all the circumstances where people lash out and try to harm you and make you feel unwelcome. You don't belong here. And what it really boils down to or not, in your heart of hearts, do you believe that God sent you here? Do you believe you have a purpose? Did God make a mistake putting you in your body and your circumstances with the surroundings that you have? Did God send you here or not? See, there are no unwanted children in God's eyes. And we need to settle that in our mind. Because if you do not believe that God put you here, if you do not believe you have a place and a purpose, it's going to affect your whole world and what you do with your life. You are here because of the infinite grace of God. God, who in infinite splendor and energy spun worlds into space. He's created more galaxies than there are human beings who have ever existed in time up to this point. And the God who made all of that and holds all of that together has made you and put you in a place 
and through circumstances and choices, you are in a chair in the Eugene Church of Christ listening to a guy like me preach. Was it an accident or something? Don't despise your place. The only thing you have to decide is whether you're going to trust God or not. Does God know what he was doing when he made you? You see, to be the light of the world, it takes faith. It has to be real. It requires that we move beyond appearance, and we get down to the nitty-gritty of the heart. And that's what Jesus said about contacting the kingdom of God, making touch with it, getting plugged into the power of God's kingdom. We need to remove beyond the externals and get to the issues of the heart. So I call this moving beyond the righteousness of the religious pros. Who are the religious professionals in Jesus' day? Who are the religious professionals in our day? We need to move beyond that. Jesus says, Matthew 5.20, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. See, the scribes and Pharisees, before I move on, I've got to say, these guys were serious. They committed large portions of the Old Testament just to, to memory. They spent so much time thinking about the law of God and the commands of God. They were serious to the point of going through the cabinets and tithing their, their, their kitchen herbs. They took it serious. How many of you have memorized the book of the New Testament? How many of you, okay, I'm not a book. How about a chapter? How many of you have memorized a chapter of, spent that kind of time to, How many of you are that serious with your giving, that serious in your commitments, that serious about keeping the laws and the commands of God? They were zealous for the commands of God. And Jesus says, you've got to go beyond that. So in some ways, the beyond that that he's talking about, it's not as easy as we might think. It's going to require certain things of us, like having the right heart. You see, the religious professionals of Jesus' day, they had defined righteousness to fit man's wisdom and man's order. And yet they put the veneer of God's laws and his language on all of that. Jesus says this, these people quoting Isaiah, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. You 
And I think that it's good for us to consider these words as well. To what extent are you and I being held bondage to traditions, the traditions of men? Traditions that could keep me from knowing the Lord is my shepherd, I don't have to want for anything. Traditions that keep me from knowing I am the light of the world. See, tradition is important. Human life can't exist without it, but it can be wrong, and it can be deadly when it's wrong. And one of the things that Jesus is teaching it does is it gets us questioning our assumptions, questioning things like, where is it possible that I have let go of the commands of God for the traditions of men? So what are some marks of S&P righteousness, scribe and Pharisee righteousness? What is the stuff that we need to move beyond? I think we just look at what Jesus said about these people, and then it gives us a picture, and it's surprisingly relevant for you and I. Uh, S&P righteousness, it seeks the honor that comes from men and not from God. It's in bondage to appearance. John 5, 42 and 44. I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? That's quite a question. It brings bondage to appearance and the opinions of others. And what, uh, to what extent are we a slave to bondage here? And to what extent am I going to be shaken up or thrown off by the opinions of others? Well, Calvin, that was, your sermon was good a couple weeks ago. Uh, you know, and, uh, it didn't click with me today or whatever. Am I going to be in bondage to that? to the, the perceptions of other people. Well, maybe if I don't, maybe they'll think this about me if I don't do, if I don't say this, if I... It relies on self-justification to appear okay or righteous. My list of reasons for things. Justify yourselves in the eyes of men. And it's just say, I am justified because I have... I haven't committed adultery. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, whoever has looked at a woman for the intent of lusting, just so suddenly it's moved back from the actual action to the intents of the heart. What's in your heart? If you could get away with it and no one would ever know, See, the thief isn't someone who steals. The thief is the one who would steal if they thought they could get away with it. The righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees is one that says, but does not. Jesus says, do what they tell you to do, but don't do what they do. I think it goes on, the NIV says, they do not practice what they preach. 
S&P righteousness, it murders in a good cause. It's murderous righteousness. If you get in my way, then I find it quite appropriate to get you out of my way. I'll even blame you for it. You should have known better before you opened your big mouth. You should have known who I was before you challenged me. It keeps people out of the kingdom of God and turns disciples into twofold the child of hell than the scribes and Pharisees themselves were. It is covetous and wealth-seeking, that kind of righteousness. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus, and he said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Detestable in God's sight. It trusts, S&P righteousness trusts in itself that it is righteous. It is, uh, it's easy for it to condemn and despise others, to play the comparison game. We all knew that story from Luke 18. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that tax collector, the one who's crying, who's truly repentant. Thank goodness I'm not like that guy. S&P righteousness defines based on externals rather than the depths of the heart. It's the kind of righteousness that seeks the appearance of a clean cup on the outside or a whitewashed tomb, but in, in truth it's full of unclean things and dead people's bones. It works for recognition from men rather than God. So like you look at the Sermon on the Mount, uh, well, fasting for example. If you go and you fast and you look, and this is the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day, and you look appropriately miserable and you are disgusting enough and solemn enough that everyone looking at you knows, oh, they've been fasting. And then people will say, that guy is really religious. Jesus says, you have received your reward in full. If you're living for that kind of reward and that kind of praise, if you can't do it in secret, if it has to be known in order to... There's two ways of seeking righteousness before the Lord. The kind of righteousness that God has versus the kind of righteousness that humanity has or we have. One righteousness is defined in terms of external action. The other by a heart of love. 
Don't hear me say that the external actions are not important. But if the external actions is all you have and the heart of love is not there, can you see the problem? That means you need to move beyond that place of just being a rule keeper. And you have to seek hard the Lord and ask Him for His help. Lord, make me a light of the world. See, one way of righteousness, it's life-giving. It goes from life to life, glory to glory. And the other is a kind of righteousness. It drains your batteries, and you're restless, and you feel like, I don't know, when I get that way, I get cynical. I get... I'm not very loving when I'm in that state of mind. People try to justify themselves on the basis of external actions, but external actions, uh, we think, well, that's what we got a shot of controlling. I can maybe control the way I act in front of people. But the fact is, you will not always be able to control it not entirely. If your heart is not right, if your heart's not right, if, you do, if, the, if the love is not real, that means whatever games you are playing, you're not going to be able to control it. There will always be a look that sneaks out. The heart always finds a way to express itself. There will be a word, there will be an attitude, there will be a reaction that shows you the condition of the heart. Jesus said, you'll be judged for every careless word you've spoken. Jesus isn't giving you a command here to never talk. His point is that you can do pretty good with pharisaical righteousness to a point. External righteousness. But at some moment when your guard is down, when you're tired, there will move out from within you that greedy, that angry, that lustful, that fearful, that prideful, that attitude that has been hiding in there. And it'll sneak out when, you're not, when your guard is down, when you're not on guard. And that's the problem. You can keep your guard up for an hour and a half here on a Sunday morning. But you cannot live on guard 24-7. You can't live on guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You got to get the heart right. And if the heart is right, everything else falls in place and will follow. Dylan, you can come up. Our invitation is to try to find ways to get the heart right, to move beyond the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees 
to take up your God-given place as the light of the world. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is trusting your King, trusting the Holy Spirit living in you, who's helping you, who desires it more than you desire it for yourself, living in the power and resources of God's kingdom, it can transform your help, your, your heart with his help. And this is why Jesus tells us so uh, plainly, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's because without the spirit, without the kingdom of God alive and in you, we don't got a shot. With him, everything is possible for him who believes, Mark 9, 23. See, when the heart is right, right fruit is going to come out of that. Righteousness and right actions, they come very naturally from a heart that has been filled with love, from a heart that is full of Jesus Christ himself. And you can't get the fullness of love without faith, and you can't get the fullness of love without humility, and you can't get the fullness of, God, of love without the help of God. But that's a good place to be, open-handed before the Lord, asking for his help. Make me into the light of the world in my place that you've put me in, Lord. Will you do that? Spend some time thinking about that and ask for the Lord's help to make you into the light of the world. Do it. Go, go practice what we said in the mirror. Look in the, go home, look in the mirror, and say out loud, I am the light of the world. Some of you will laugh, and some of you will cry. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. The evil brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's uh, stand and sing together. I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk, dear Lord, close to thee. Just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus is my plea. 
daily walking close to thee, let it be dear.